had a we had Thursday night actually we had what we call the one service. Now we're going to be changing the date on that. We usually have it every third Thursday. We're getting ready to change it. I'll have to ask Hunter. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be, but it's going to be the second Thursday, the second Thursday of the month, starting in June, I think. Don't quote me on that. Check our website. But guys, you know some people, and I'm not saying this to condemn you, but some people say we want a midweek service. Well. We're having one the second Thursday, okay? <laughs> and what it is, it's just an hour of soaking in the presence of God, just singing praises and praying. I don't preach. I'm not here to preach. We're here just to praise God and to soak in his presence and to pray. Well, we were doing that Thursday night. Every time we've done that, it has never failed that the Lord put impressed something on my heart. And I'm, I'm standing at the back and I, 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 for weeks now, I've been hearing the Lord say something to me that I'm going to be sharing with you in just a minute. But the Lord spoke to my heart in a scripture and said, Be not weary in well-doing, for you will reap. Come on, church. You will reap. That's a promise from God. You will reap in due season. Now, I don't know what the due season is. That's not up to me and you. That's up to God. But you'll reap in due season if you faint not. And so I thank them because they, they work hard. They put a lot of time in. And I'm not here to praise the worship team, but I'm just using them as an illustration, if you don't mind. They're putting a lot of time, and they're faithful. And the thing is, we do that sometimes when we're weary, when we're tired, when you're hurt, when you're offended, when you feel overlooked, a lot of different things going on. And uh, that's what faithfulness is. And the Lord began to reveal something to me. Faithfulness doesn't even begin until you don't agree, until you're hurting, until you're tired. Come on, when we're on the honeymoon, things is woohoo. It's when you get up and smell her stinking breath in the morning and she's got to put up with your dirty underwear that faithfulness begins. Huh? So don't be weary. Don't let weariness overtake you. Be faithful to God. Be committed. Be loyal to him. Because, church, I'm going to tell you something. We first started this ministry, and I shared this Thursday night. There was new families in this church every single Sunday. There was three or four different new families, and it was just like the happening thing in the county. Nobody was doing contemporary music. We were the only ones in the whole county. And they were calling us the rock and roll church. Because we didn't do hymns, we did contemporary music. Now all of them are doing contemporary music. But back then it was like the trend. And there's been some new churches that's been planted since ours, and they became the trend. And people run to the trend, and it's like, whoa, it's kind of the fad, you know. But when the trend comes to the end, that's when it all sifts out, and your faithful people are left. Amen. And so that's kind of where we are, and, and I'm, I'm actually going to be talking about some of that this morning. I think I, God has a weird way of giving me a message. I've got all kind of dots that don't even belong on the same page, and I've got to somehow get them on the same page and make them connect. And it's, it's hard to do sometimes, but I'm just, I, all I can give you is what God gave me, all right? And we'll just sift it out and sort it out, and hopefully something will make sense out of it to come out of the thing. All right. <clears throat> We're a work in progress. Amen? God's always working. The Lord showed us this years ago. God's something, he's working something in me or something out of me 
or something through me to work something in or out of you. But be, be aware of this. God is always at work. He's always at work, and you are a work in progress, and I, your pastor, am a work in progress. Trust me. I don't have it all together. I'm a work in progress, and God has been working on me. The Lord showed me something several years ago because I am such a task-driven person. That's the way my brain works. I, when I'm going to do something, I could... When we first started the church, I offended so many people because I'm on my way to do something, and I would walk right past you and never say, hi, how are you doing, anything, because I'm focused. I got tunnel vision. And it's not that I didn't want to, that I don't care. I mean, I do. I deeply care, but it's just, that was just me, you know. And the Lord, I mean, I, I had to, God rebuked me for that through people and different circumstances and stuff. So I had to learn that my task is not my task. You are. You're my task. And no matter what I've got to do, it's not as important as you are. And so I had to learn, and it's not my nature. I am not. A, I am an introvert by nature. I am not a social person by nature. I am not good conversationally. When you and I try to have a conversation, I'm, I just, I'm not really good at that. But at the same time, I, John Maxwell said, when you, and, and this will help all of us, all right? When you leave someone's presence, did you make them feel valued? And so I had to start working on that. And God's still working in me to do that. I, I, I want to, no matter, because I can, you know how you, you, you got something on your mind, you need to get it done, you're on your way to do it, and all of a sudden here is somebody that needs your time. And you're like, you want to give them the attention that they desperately need, but you're like, your mind is, men are waffle-brained. And I'm in the get it done waffle, and all of a sudden I got to get out of that and get in the you really need my attention right now waffle. And it's hard to do. And so you're kind of like, and you're fidgety. And so I had to learn to stop doing that. It's like, you know what? If that never gets done right now, what can I do to help you? So God's working on us, amen? That's what, listen, I'm up here bearing my slimy soul, but you got your own problems too. And God wants to work on those things. Facing flesh, you can't crucify your flesh until you acknowledge that you have flesh that needs to be crucified. And I just recently had to, see, I am the type of person also that I pray almost daily, God, search my heart to see if there be any unclean thing in me. I want to be right with God. I want to be like that song, sold out to him. But at the same time, there's so much flesh in me, and there's flesh in you too. But we will smear a bunch of spirit, spirituality on it to make it look real spiritual. Quote scriptures and talk about Jesus and name the name of Jesus and all of those things when there's really some nasty stuff going on in here. And we just kind of push it down and ignore it and act like it's not there. And I had to give myself permission 
to be brutally honest with myself that I am angry. 2020 was a bad year for me, and I'm angry about that. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being angry. The Bible tells you to be angry, but sin not. Come on, Jesus got really, really ticked off one time and went down and premeditatedly made a whip and went into the temple and beat the moneylenders out of the temple. So I understand that, I, I, and I had to give myself to the permission to be honest with myself that I'm angry, but it's not a righteous anger. It's fleshly anger because I can't crucify it until I have first confessed it to myself. And church, we need to take a brutal, honest look in the mirror at ourselves and see what we own and then take it and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I know that with your help, I can overcome this. I want to be yours. I want to serve you, but I can't serve you and serve this flesh too. So we got to die to this thing. We have to, church. So there's a part of me that needs to die, and I take it to Jesus' feet. And listen, all of this stuff usually has something to do with somebody else. Because if you're angry, you can put a face on that. Hello? Come on, I ain't the only one in here. You know what I'm talking about. Don't sit there and act all righteous with me. You can put a face on that. And so I am going to put this thing to death, and I am going to treat them the way Jesus told me to treat them. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. He showed me this weeks ago. I told you he's been working on me. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Church, I didn't deserve his forgiveness, and neither do you but he gave it to you anyway. I got up this morning, I'm on the way out, I'm getting ready to highlight my notes, and there was a black minister on TV preaching my sermon. I said, well, if that, there's a confirmation. And he brought out something that I thought was profound. Brother Gerald, I don't know you, but if you hear this, God bless you, brother. I thank, thank you for hearing from God and helping me out this morning. He said, forgiveness... It's not forgetting that it happened or pretending that it didn't happen. Forgiveness is when you acknowledge that you hurt me. You hurt me. And therefore, you incurred a debt that you owe to me. At, the, at a minimum, you owe me an apology because you hurt me. And you owe me a debt. Forgiveness is saying to you, even though you hurt me and you owe me a debt, I consider that debt paid. And now let's forget about it. But not only that, and this was so profound, Brother Gerald, God bless you. He said, also leave the door open so that I can come back with dignity. He said, I already feel lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. Huh? Come on. That's good. 
And then you're going to keep reminding me of what I've done to hurt you? No, forgiveness is acknowledging you hurt me. But I consider that debt paid. Now, the door's open. You can come back, and we're going to be friends better than we were before. You can come back with dignity. So if I'm going to name the name of Jesus and make it real, I've got to crucify this flesh. Because if you don't, it's all, it's all just smearing spiritual dressing on it. You're talking about Jesus. You're quoting Scripture. You're all churchy and everything. You're just putting spiritual dressing over a wicked, wicked heart. And you're not fooling anybody. Come on, somebody. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Look to your right. I want you to do this like, look here, look at Do this little, this little, uh, what do you call that, the, the homecoming queen wave? Look at him say, hi, friend. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't even know that person. They're not my friend, all right? How many people in here would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I believe that I am a child of the living God? All right, keep your hand up there. All right, look at your neighbor. He says, hand up. And your hand is up. All right, then that is your brother or your sister sitting beside of you. So I want you to look at them. If it's a girl, say, hi, sis. If it's a man, say, what up, bro? It's good to see you. Now I want you to close your eye. Come on, close your eyes. And I want you to see that face that I was talking about. And that person that you're not sitting beside of them because you walked all the way around the church to get on the other side because you won't even speak to them. Or if they're not here today because you chose to go to a different church because you're not going to that church because they're going there. And you're talking about Jesus, and you're putting on all this churchy stuff, and all you're doing is smearing some spiritual dressing on your wicked, dark heart. And you need to close your eyes, see their face, and say, I love you, and I forgive you. And I'm going to treat you the way that God told me to treat you. Because if you're not willing to do that, church, if you can't do that, then you need to crucify some flesh in here today. Amen? Amen? I ain't even got into my sermon yet. This is just the introduction. Y'all just hang in there. Jesus put it this way. If you say that you love God who you cannot see, and you don't love your brother who you can see, then you're a liar. The truth's not even in you. Come on, Jesus is the truth. He's not, even, he's not there. How do you love God who you can't see and you can't love your brother who you do see? So it doesn't matter how churchy you talk. I don't care how many scriptures you post on your face page. I don't care how many testimonies you give about the 
the quiet time, the devotional time you have with your family. Brother, if you're not practicing this, you're just smearing a bunch of spiritual dressing over a dark, wicked heart. If there's hate in your heart, brother, you're a liar. Don Francisco wrote a song back in the 70s. He was a man before his time. He said, I don't care how many buses you own or the size of your sanctuary. Doesn't matter how steep your steeple is or if it's sitting on a cemetery. I don't care if you paved your parking lot. I don't care if you put pads upon your pews. What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? I don't care if your preacher's super-powered. Your program's always new. What you need is love and truth. Men are going to come to you. I don't care if you know the Bible, if it's all just in your head. The thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I've said? Do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant? Come on, are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Do the widows and the orphans cry alone? I don't care if you, if you pray for miracles. I don't care if you speak with tongues. I don't care if you say that you love me in every song you've sung. It doesn't matter if your sacrifice of praise is loud enough to raise the dead. The thing I need to ask you is have you done the things I've said? You say, well, Lord, when did we see you sick and we didn't come to you? When were you a prisoner and we didn't follow through? Every time you turned your head and you pretended not to see, if you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. Come on, do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Do the widows and the orphans cry alone? We have to ask ourselves today, if we were arrested for being, uh, being a Christian and put on trial today, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? Not based on what you say, not on the spiritual dressing, but on what you really do, the way that you live. Are you sold out for Jesus today? Or are you selling out for yourself? Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, God, to let this message ring with truth, God. I know it's a hard message, God. It's a hard message for me to hear, God. Because I see in the mirror, I see, God, what's in me that needs to die. And God, I don't want to be living a life having something stand between me and you. So, Lord, I pray that we can just put this to death today, Lord, that every one of us, God, will take a brutal, honest look at ourselves, God. Every person that hears this will take a brutal, honest look at ourselves and say, God, search me today. See if there's any unclean thing in me. And then crucify it, God. Lay it at your feet, Lord. And then begin to do the things that you commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 17. We're going to look at a story that I think is going to highlight some of the characteristics that I'm talking about this morning. 
Judges chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, there, Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim. Now Ephraim, the mountains of Ephraim in Israel is 70 miles wide, 120 miles long, and right in the, kind of in the central part of Israel, just northwest of the Dead Sea, was the mountains of Ephraim. Also in that same region, not far from where this man lived, was Shiloh. Now, Shiloh at this time was where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, and that's where the people went to worship God. It was where they were supposed to go worship God and the way they were supposed to worship God. So you have to understand the setting now. This is where he lives. He is not far from, from church. Let's just put it that way. There's no reason he can't go to church to worship God the way he's supposed to. Amen. And I'm not talking to you people sitting home this morning. We would love to have you here, but I'm not talking about that because I just got a sense that somebody's like, he's talking about us. I'm always talking about somebody. <laughs> Come on. If the, when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the only one that barks is the one that got hit. Amen. Come on. <laughs> so what, what can I say? All right. There was a man, and he lived in the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Micah, verse 2, and he said to his mother, now get this, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, <laughs> even saying this in my ear. In other words, she let it be known somebody done stole my money, and she's making sure her son hears him. Now, it's implied that maybe she knew he took it. I don't know, maybe a guy had a crack addict or something. I don't know what his problem was, but he took her money. He said it even in my ear. He said, here is the silver with me. I took it. So she let it be known. Look, somebody took my money, and I done put a curse on them. So he's like, whoa. I took it. Now, what kind of man would steal money from his own mother? All right, let's get a picture of the character of who, this, who we're talking about here. And don't be too hard on this guy because before it's over with, you're going to find out that there's a whole lot of that is you and me. What kind of man would steal from his own mother? You know what kind of man? A very selfish man, self-centered, self-serving man. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So kind of out of a love for her son, she, re she revokes the curse. Now, first of all, we need to realize we don't put curses on people. That is witchcraft. So mama's not a whole lot better than the boy who stole her money. What do we say? The tree didn't fall far from the apple? Yeah. Verse 3 says, so when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. So you have to see their intentions here are good. Her in, the, their intentions of worship is to worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they've got the right idea. Come on, they're naming the name of Jesus. They're, they're quoting the scriptures. They're posting stuff on Facebook. They got the right idea. So she said, I wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. It's like, wait a minute. 
God commanded us, you shall not make unto you any graven image to bow down and worship it. So they've got the right idea, just the, just the wrong approach. They're trying to create a God to say, this is Yahweh. This is the God that we serve. And turn him into an idol, an image that they can set in their house. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, verse 4 says, thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a graved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. What they're doing here is the same thing that Aaron did at Mount Sinai. When Moses went up on the mountain to receive the commandment from God, they, he tarried coming back, and they said, where is he? He must be dead. So the people brought the gold, and Aaron took the gold and made a golden calf and said, behold, Yahweh, who has brought us out of Egypt. In other words, he's attributing to God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the credit for bringing them out of Egypt, but he's creating an idol to say, this is who he is. And so this guy is doing the same thing, making the same error that Aaron had made. Verse 5, it says, And Micah had a shrine and made an ephod. Now, if it, things are not bad enough, now he is making himself the high priest. Because you see, the ephod was a breastplate that the high priest, and only the high priest, wore on his chest. It had 12 stones on it. And it was what they would use, and we don't know exactly how they would use it, but it's what they would use to discern the will of God for the people. And so he made himself an ephod. He's like, I don't need the preacher. He's just a man. All right? I can do the same thing he can do. It's like, wait a minute. No, you can't because God didn't call you to do that. He called him to do that. That was specifically for the high priest, but he's like, I'll just do it myself. I don't, need, I don't need the pastor. I don't need church leadership. I'll just do it my way. Who sung that? Elvis Presley? I did it my way. Yeah. He did it his way all right. Are you still with me? Say amen. So he made a shrine. He made an ephod and household idols. <laughs> now, it's like just in case Yahweh is not the right God, I'm going to make all these other little gods too. Because I want to make sure that I'm going to profit from all of this. So he's shown disrespect to the order of worship, to the spiritual authority. Later on, King Saul is going to lose the kingdom for that same reason. And Uzzah is going to lose his life because he put forth his hand and touched the Ark of the Covenant. You don't disrespect God's order. It's authority. So he makes these shrines to the, the pagan method of worshiping. What's he doing? He's accessing every possibility in which he can prosper. In other words, this guy was so selfish and self-centered and self-serving, I'm going to do everything I can do to make sure that I come out on top. I got to win. I got to win. No matter what happens, I'm going to win. What's in this for me? There's a lot of people that name the name of Jesus, and we operate with that exact same characteristics. What's in it for me? How am I going to benefit from this? There's no sacrifice in that. 
So Michael made a shrine. He made an ephod, household idols, and <laughs> he consecrated his son who became his priest. They, listen, this is the tribe of Ephraim. The only people that could be a priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. And his son is not from the tribe of Levi. But he makes his son a priest. Dad and mom, listen to me. When you start perverting the truth, you're going to take your kids down with you. So it's not bad enough that he's doing this. He makes his son the priest over these idols. And verse 6 really kind of drills in on what's going on here. It said, and in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How many think we might just possibly be living in that age today? I'm not talking about just in the world. Of course, we see that, but I'm talking about in the church. They serve God the way they think they ought to serve God. They don't really use this plumb line anymore. There's a lot of yeah buts in their faith. They got an attitude. Don't quote Scripture to me. Well, the Lord says, yeah, but... And they've got some excuse to do something contrary to that law, to that plumb line. And so they do what is right in their own eyes. Verse 7, now there was a young man. That, that we're going to switch to another character. This is kind of like watching a TV show. You know how you got one scene, and they're doing this, and then they flip to the other scene, and they're getting ready to all come together, but they're showing what's going on over here while something there. All right, here's, here we go. This would make a great movie. There was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, and he was a Levite and was staying there. So he's from the tribe of Levi. Now, the tribe of Levi, remember, they're the only ones that can be the priest. And their job was, see, the reason he's staying there is because the Levites weren't given a possession. All the 12 sons of Israel were given land except the Levites because they were to be priests to all the people. And so they were to go into all the different tribes and serve as their priest, and they would be cared for by the tribes from the tithes. Ten percent of the first increase was to be given for the temple, for God, for feeding the priest, and to take care of the Levites and all that. And so that's why he does, he's looking for a place to, to do this. Verse 80 said, And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah and stayed wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountain of Ephraim, and to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said, well, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year and a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like a, one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now, <laughs> now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as my priest. Church, how many people... Their life is in utter chaos. This guy, everything, everything about his spirituality was, it was out of order. But as long as he's paying the preacher, 
I know God's going to be good to me. Church, I've known people like that. Drunk, womanizers, chasing women, everything else, but they will give to the church because they think somehow that gift is going to get them in good with God. As long as I go to church on Sunday, I name the name of Jesus, I put it on my Facebook, and I do all these things. It doesn't matter how much my life is out of order. I know God's going to do me good. I found me a preacher that has perverted the truth as much as I have. Because you see, this Levite knew where Shiloh was. He knew what the order of God was. He knew the way he was supposed to worship God. But he came a priest to this one man, and he did as he wanted him to do, and he was the priest over his shrine with all of his idols in it. Church, if you want to live a perverted life contrary to this book, you don't have to look too far today to find a preacher that will agree with you. He'll tell you that it's all right to live in sexual immorality and many such things. I'm not going to get into all of that. But do you understand what I'm saying? See, Michael wasn't trying to set things in order. He was just trying to sweeten the deal to better guarantee God's favor on his life. He was selfish, self-centered, self-serving. Now, let's switch to one more scene, and then I'm going to tie this in, and we're going to get out of here. Are you still with me? Say amen. Chapter 18, verse 1. This is the setting of the next scene. It's all getting ready to come together. Now, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, the inheritance among the tribes of Israel was not fallen to them. Actually, they had been given a section of land. If you look at the map of Israel over next to the Mediterranean Sea, about center ways of Israel was the land given to Dan. But they couldn't conquer the people that was there. So they're traveling around trying to find a place. They've ultimately settled in the far north. You've heard the term from Dan to Beersheba. You heard that term in Scripture, from Dan to Beersheba. Well, Dan was the northernmost border of Israel, and Beersheba was the southernmost border. So they're going to go eventually and settle in the north. But right now, they're, they're transit. They're looking for a place that they can settle and claim as their own. All right? Verse 2 says, The children of Dan sent five men uh, of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Estal, to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, Go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim and to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. In other words, there must have been some distinctive dialect among the Levitical people that they knew, this, that guy sounds like a Levite. All right? And so they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here, and what are you doing in this place? What do you have here? 
And he said to them, Thus and so Mike did for me, Micah did for me, and he has hired me, and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we are going will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. Now look this way and listen. This guy is an idol worshiper. He is serving as a priest in a temple with idols in it. He is completely out of the will of God, but still he hears from God. How is that possible? If you remember when Moses was traveling through the land, they, they hired Balaam the prophet to come and curse Moses. Balaam was a prophet for hire. He was a prostitute selling his gift for money. And when he went up to, to curse the children of Israel, God told him not to curse them but to bless them. He's like, wait a minute, why is God even talking to this guy? What's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. In other words, if he's called you and he's gifted you, he doesn't take that from you. So wouldn't it be a shame for people who can prophesy in his name and cast out devils in his name and do mighty many works in his name and still be cast out from his presence? Because that's what's going to happen. Matthew 7, 21 says that. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but they'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they say, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out devils in your name, did many mighty works in your names? He says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Church, I don't care how much spiritual dressing you smear on it. If your heart is wicked, you need to crucify this thing. Are you hearing me, church? I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm probably preaching to the choir. And if I am, please give me grace. But somebody needs to hear this. Amen? If it's not you, it's your neighbor, all right? So I'm glad he's talking to him, not me. Let's skip down to verse 13. It says, And they passed from the mountain of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the land, because now, uh, fast forward, they've gone back and told the tribe of Israel to, that, um, that they found a place and they're going to march north and they're bringing 600 armed men with them now. And so they come back to the house of Ephraim, back to the mountain of Ephraim, the house of Micah. And the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laash answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there is in this house an ephod? All right, now, now we're seeing the heart of the Danite people. There's an ephod here. They have household idols. They have carven images and, and molten images. Now, therefore, consider what you should do. So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man and the, to the house of Micah and greeted him. And the 600 armed men with the weapons of war uh, who were of the children of Dan stood at the entrance of the gate, and the five men who had gone out to spy out the land, they entered there, and they took the carved images, the ephod, the household idols, and the molten images. And the priest at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men with armed weapons, they were all standing at the gate. So what's happening here is the five spies come back with 600 armed men. They're going to conquer the north. And on their way, let's, let's stop by this guy's house. Man, he's got some stuff, man. Man, he's got some silver idols and stuff. He's got an ephod, and there's a Levite there. 
And so the 600 guys, they got Mike out there, and they're keeping him occupied while the five spies go around and steal his stuff. And the priest is standing here with Micah and the 600 men. All right, verse 18. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved images and the ephod, the household idols, the molten image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to the tribe and a family of Israel? So the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, the household idols, the carved images. It didn't say they took it. It said he took it. And the carved images and took his place among the people. Now look this way. <laughs> what happened to he's like a son to me, and he's like a father to me? This Levite was so selfish and so self-centered that he had a pretty good deal, 10 shekels and a shirt, until a better deal came along. And then all of a sudden, that loyalty, that commitment, that dedication that was supposed to be there, that should be there, was gone. Why? Because he was selfish, self-centered, and self-serving, not sacrificial. So Michael confronts them. They tell him, shut your mouth, get back in the house. We're going to kill you. And so he shuts his mouth and gets back in the house, and let's close with this. Danites settled in Laash in verse 27. So they took the things Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and went to Laash to a people quiet and secure. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from, from Sidon, and they had no ties with anyone. And there was a, uh, in the valley that belonged to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. Verse 29, and they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city was formerly Laash. Verse 30, then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved images. And for the first time, they named this young Levite priest, Jonathan, the son of Gershon the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land so that they set up for themselves Micah's carved images, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So the whole time that people should have been going to Shiloh and worshiping God the correct way, they are worshiping God their own way. All the way up to the time that they were taken captivity. Levite priest after Levite priest. Selling their, their sellouts. Their sellouts for profit. Their sellouts for selfishness. And this continued contrary to the command of God. Why didn't Micah go to Shiloh? Why didn't the Danites go? Why didn't they just go to Shiloh? 
I don't know. We don't know why. Why? Why do, don't people come to the house of God and worship God? According, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Why? I don't know. I can't really say that there is a blanket reason, but I know that one predominant reason is by, some, by someone or somehow or some way they have been offended. There's people right now that will not go to church with some of you because they're mad at you. The problem is they say they're a Christian. And there's some of you perhaps sitting here that won't go to church with them either. And you name the name of Jesus. And the commentary says the danger in this text is not that the Israelites blatantly rejected God, Yahweh, the turning and turned to pagan gods. It's syncretism. It's the blending of true worship with that which is false. And why? Because I'm going to do it my way so that I might benefit from it. I named the name of Jesus, but I'm going to serve him in a way that serves myself. There's no sacrifice in that. What's in it for me? How is it going to work out for me? Am I going to come out on top? Am I going to win? Come on, church. Sometimes we have to give up the right to be right. We can be guilty of synchronizing God's way of worship and the world's way of worship, just like Micah and Jonathan. Romans chapter 12, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you make your body a living sacrifice. It's a death walk every day to do this God's way. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, he has to deny himself. And he has to take up his cross daily and follow me. So back in Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, brethren, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. In other words, we don't do it the world's way. But you've got to be transformed by renewing your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a clear contrast between God's way of worshiping and the world's way of worshiping. The world's way is selfish and self-centered. It's, it's self-serving. God's way is always sacrificial. It's always dying to my right to be right. You have to sacrifice a life that is sold out for Jesus. But too many people want to benefit from, the, from a loving, all-powerful, benevolent God and the benefits that he offers you but you also want to benefit from everything that you can gain from the world by doing it your own way. I'm a work in progress. Because church, I fight this all the time. And I'm quite certain I can speak for some of you. You probably fight this too. I believe I'm right. And they're wrong. I'm right and they're wrong. And they need to admit that they're wrong because I'm right. And it puts a wedge between us. 
because I'm right. And you need to see that I'm right. You need to admit that you're wrong. You need to repent. Isn't it amazing how we, we want the forgiveness of God, but we're so unwilling to give it? Isn't it? We want the benefit of God's forgiveness, but we're so unwilling to give it to others. And church, I hear God saying, and this is what I told you I was going to share with you later on. I've been hearing this for weeks. And I don't know if it's just for me or if it's for all of us. But he's saying, why? Why do you say that you love me, but you do not do the things that I say? Why? Why do you say you love me, but you don't do the things that I say? Church, the world is looking for answers, and Jesus is the answer. And we are his representatives in the world. But if we act just like the world, what, what, what makes us any better than they are? Why, why would, and I've known people like that. Why do I want to go down to the church? People fussing and fighting with each other? I get enough of that at home. I get enough of that at work. I don't need to go to church and get more of it. Come on, amen? We're, Jesus said, we're the light of the world. We're supposed to be set on a hillside. We should be able to say, listen, you watch what I do. And you do the same thing, and you're going to be okay with God. So, boy, that's awful arrogant. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. You do what I do. You imitate what I do. Because I imitate what Jesus does. And I'm going to tell you that is a constant battle going on inside of you. This has been a problem since the beginning. Aaron did it at Mount Sinai. Paul had to deal with it at the church of Corinth. They wanted to worship God their own way. They were synchronizing pagan worship during the communion. They were having sexual encounters during communion because that's what you do when you worship pagan gods. And he had to bring correction to the church at Corinth because they were mingling pagan worship with Christianity, doing it their own way. And we deal with it today. People who say they're sold out to Jesus, but their commitment, their commitment, their dedication, and their loyalty is so shallow. I just recently heard about two brothers who fell out. Their fellowship broke. One of them says to the other, I can't be your friend anymore. You name the name of Jesus, and you say that to your brother, to your friend? No, Jesus, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's a song that says the friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. What does that say? I can't be your friend anymore. That says you have no depth 
in your character. You're shallow. You have no depth in your character. Your commitment is that deep that if I do something you don't like, I don't live my life the way you think I should live it, now we can't be friends anymore. And then the person who hears that, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, well, thank you for clarifying that for me. You were never my friend in the first place, so fine. We're not friends anymore. Then your commitment is no deeper than his is. You're just as shallow in your character as he is. Can I give you some advice? No, what you say is, I'm glad you clarified that for me. I, I know where you stand. But just so that you know where I stand, I love you, and I'm your friend, and I will always be your friend. And any time you ever need me, all you have to do is call me and I'll be there because that's what a friend is for. Church, you forgive them. Yeah, they're hurting you. Yeah, they have a debt that they owe you, but you forgive that debt. It's paid for. Now, let's forget about it. And you leave them the dignity to come. You leave them the, the open door to come back with dignity. And if they realize just how shallow that is and how shallow their character is, they've got no commitment, no dedication, no loyalty to what they called friendship. You don't beat them up because they did that, because we've probably done that. I've done that. And you let them come back. And you embrace each other. Say, I love you, man. I love you. You're my friend. You're my friend. What are we doing? We name the name of Jesus. We put scriptures on Facebook. We talk about the testimonies of devotions with our family. And we smear a bunch of spiritual dressing over a dark, wicked heart. And we deceive ourselves into thinking we're worshiping God his way. No, you're worshiping God your way, and it has no value. We need to repent, and we need to crucify this thing. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read this, and I'm going to close. For you, brethren, have caught, been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love you serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor like you love yourself. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. You forgive them. And church, let me tell you something. If you've forgiven them, you talk about them like you have forgiven them. Don't you go out and start talking about, yeah, well, they did this and they did that. And no, they already feel like a snake's belly in a, in a wagon rut. Don't keep beating them up with your tongue. You talk about them like they're your friend, like you really have forgiven them. 
If you can't do that and you won't do that, you need to crucify this thing. Verse 15, but if we bite and devour one another, beware lest you become consumed one of the other. Verse 16, I, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Don't just put spiritual dressing in it. Walk in it. Walk in it. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh lusts against the Spirit. That's a capital H. That's the Holy Spirit that's in you. And the Spirit of God against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you wish to do. You can't do it your way. And you need to make up your mind, am I going to be sold out for Jesus or a sellout for myself? Because you're going to be one or the other. Well, say they won't meet me halfway. They don't have to meet you halfway. This is not about them. It's about you. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to erase that debt. I'm going to love them. I'm going to speak of them like a brother, like a friend, if they never forgive me, if they never meet me halfway. Because I don't have to answer for them on the day of judgment. I do have to answer for this guy, though. Amen? Then he goes on and talks about the different works of the flesh. And I've just talked about forgiveness and stuff, but he talks in there about sexual immorality and lewdness and selfishness and ambition and many, many different things. But I think you get the message. Would you stand with me, please? I'm not angry at you, church. Listen. I, I tell some of you uh, that I'm close to, and I don't mind telling all of you, most of the sermons that I preach, I preach in a mirror. I just don't like to take a whipping by myself. <laughs> Not a selfish bone in my body. I'd be glad to share it with you. Come on, I need to work on that. How many of you think there's some flesh in you that needs crucifying this morning? Uh huh? Come on. We all do. There should be no division in the body of Christ. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it today more than I've ever seen it in this church. And I don't mind telling you there's some problems going on, and they should not be going on. It's, it's childish. It's childish. We're not children on a playground saying, well, if you're going to be their friend, you can't be my friend. Come on. that oh. Really, seriously? You name the name of Jesus, and you've got to pick sides. Now, I'm picking his side, and I love you. you. You hurt me. You owe a debt to me, but I forgive you. I'm not going to play that game with you. I'm not. I'm not getting in the blame game. I'm not getting in the blame game. I'm not. Satan's to blame. And if we're going to name the name of Jesus, we need to gang up on him and quit fighting each other. 
And there's some people that need to get on the phone and say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I own my bad. I'm sorry. I love you. I want you to forgive me. All debts are gone. They're erased. Any debt that you owe me, it's paid. It was nailed on a cross on Mount Calvary. It's paid. You owe me nothing. And the only thing I owe you is to love you. Yeah. Owe no man anything but to love him. Amen. Father, we come before your throne in Jesus' name. God, search our hearts this morning and see if there be any unclean thing in us, Lord. God, I don't have to look to see if there's unclean things in me. They're plainly before my face, but I don't want them there. And you promised me that if I would confess my sins before you, that you're faithful and just, and you would forgive me of my sin, and you would forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So remove it today, Lord. God, we sing that song. I give it all to you this time. No turning back, Lord. May that be a reality, not just a pretty little song that we sing, God. We give our life to you, God. We're sold out for you, Lord. God, I pray that every person that hears this, Lord, knows that I'm not angry with them. I'm not. My heart is broken for them, Lord. Forgive us, God, for failing you, Lord, for trying to serve you our way, God, for making our own graven images, Lord, and bowing down to them and saying, this is a better way. This way profits me more. God, help us to take up our cross every day, Lord, and die to this contrary flesh and demonstrate Jesus to the world. Lord, there's so many people looking for answers, and you are the answer, God. I pray that they can see that in us, Lord, in the way we deal with each other, in the way we treat each other. God, help us to make each other feel valued. Because every person is valued in your sight. I leave that with you guys. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. You know what's in your own heart and what's going on. <sighs> Only you can fix that between you and the Lord. Amen. Amen. I sure hope I see people treating each other better. I'd really like to see that. I really would. Now, let me just clarify for you, because I know how people's minds work. It's like, who is he talking about? What's going on? What, come on now, be honest. As I look around the room, I don't think there's anybody in here that won't talk to anybody over there. All right. Because most of this is going on. They're not here because that's going on. And so you probably need to make a phone call to make this right. And maybe if it is somebody on the other side of the room, you need to go over there and say, look, look, brother, sister, let's start over. Come on, let's do a do-over. Can we do that? I'm sorry. Forgive me. Whatever debt you owed me is paid. We're done. We're, let's forget it. 
Let's go on and kick the devil out of town. Amen. 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 We worship God coming in. We worship him going out. Hunter, take us to the throne, brother. Oh, 
preach hard like that, I'm afraid that everybody's mad at me, so tell me you love me. All right. I love you whether you love me or not, all right? There's nothing you can do about that, okay? You know, if you're here this morning, though, and you do need prayer for something, I'm going to ask the elders if they would make their way to the front. And maybe you just want somebody just to come in agreement with you. We're not asking you to bear any hidden secrets or anything like that, just whatever you might need, and you just want somebody to just be in agreement with you and pray with you, I would like to make that opportunity available to you. So as we close in prayer, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you, you would just kind of quietly ease out if people are here praying. <clears throat> Amen. Let's live for Jesus this week. All right. You know, a good way to do that is don't set your goals so far that you can't reach it. So I'm going to live for Jesus the rest of the day today. All right. I can make that. I might not be able to run yet, but I can make baby steps. I'm gonna, God, I'm going to put this into practice today. <coughs> Excuse me. The rest of the day today. Then tomorrow... God, today, I know that I'm not going to face anything today that you and I can't handle together. I'm going to live for you today and just do it day. But that's what Jesus said. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Amen. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the spirit, Lord, that is so prevalent right here in this, this sanctuary, God. Lord, I sensed it during our worship time, Lord. Thank you for Brittany, God. I thank you for her obedience to you, Lord. She's my friend. For being obedient, God, to say that very heartfelt prayer, God. I want to be sold out for you, God. Lord, I just laid the groundwork for the message today. Another confirmation, Lord, of what we need to be doing, God. So, Lord, I pray that we don't just forget this, God. Help us to go out and be doers of your word, not forgetful hearers, Lord. Put it into practice. God, I know by the power of the Spirit, we can do this. God, you would not ask us to do something that we're incapable of. So anoint us, God, to walk in, in your presence, Lord, and, and be a light to the people that need hope, God, that's looking for answers. I pray a special anointing over every single person, God, to fulfill your call on their life, God. Each person has a call. They have a purpose. Lord, I pray that you reveal that to them and help them to walk in it, Father. Empower them to walk in it. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ today. Father, over every home that is represented here, God. God, I say this prayer every Sunday, Lord, but I mean it with sincerity. Every time I pray this, God, strengthen the family today, God. God, I pray that husbands and wives, Lord, they will be one like you meant for them to be one, God. I pray that children will honor their mother and their father 
which is the first commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. And it's the first commandment that you gave with promise that your days will be long on the earth. And then I, got, I pray, God, that siblings will love each other and they will be kind to each other, God. Then I pray, Lord, a special prayer over those that are traveling alone today, God. They're looking for their mate. Father, I pray that you will guide their steps to that right person for them, Lord. You've prepared for them now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church.